Thank you very much. Take your Bible, Romans 14 tonight. Appreciate the orchestra, all the hard work that goes into that. Great job. It's beautiful. Romans chapter 14. Anybody need a handout tonight? You can raise your hand. And Ron has some in the back. We'd be happy to get one in your hands. It's helpful for you to have one of these. There's a few. Raise it nice and high so he can see you. Ron just had cataract surgery, so he can see everything now. I'm sorry, Ron. I shouldn't have said that. Would you forgive me? Oh, okay. Romans chapter 14. When we come to Romans, remember, we have to remember the context we find ourselves and the flow of thought. Romans chapters 1 through 11 give us the doctrine, give us a doctrine-heavy section, all about the gospel. And in fact, I've titled the book, The Gospel and What It Means for Me. And, and, and the reason I title it that way is that splits the book in half. The gospel is Romans 1 through 11. It deals with the, the need for the gospel. We have kind of the preamble, the introduction, Romans 1, 1 through 16 or so. Then we're, talked, we're told about the power of the gospel. It is the power of God into salvation for everyone who believes, to the Jew first and also to the to the Gentile, or to the Greek. And so the, the mystery, of the, the, the glory of, of the Jews and the Gentiles living in harmony with each other in the church is unfolded in this. How is that possible? We find out that the, the Gentiles need salvation. We know that, Genesis, uh, uh, Romans chapter 1, and the Gentiles who are, are wicked. They have idolatry. They are immoral. They have all these bad things they do. And these Gentiles, well, of which we are, right, the pagans, we, we need the gospel. We need salvation. Romans chapter 2 deals with the fact not only do the Gentiles need the gospel, who else needs the gospel? The Jews need the gospel. And then Romans chapter 3, if the Jew needs the, Gent- needs the gospel, if the Gentile needs the gospel, everybody needs the gospel. Romans 3, 23, all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. What's the solution? Romans 4 and 5 deal with salvation by grace through faith. If you believe in working your way to heaven, you have not uh, studied and read Romans chapters 4 and 5 and believed it because that is the, the, the whole point of Romans 4 and 5 is that you cannot work your way. It is given to you by Christ as a gift that is accessed by faith alone, and gifts are based in faith. We receive things by faith. We do not, uh, the difference between a gift and a wage is laid out in Romans 4 and 5. And then Romans 6, we have the, the, the fact that if we are united with Christ, we are baptized with Him. And this baptism and union with Christ means that we cannot just sin however we want to sin or what we might want to do in our flesh, but rather there are implications that, that because we're now united with Christ, we have a new life in Him. But that doesn't mean that we don't struggle, Romans chapter 7. Remember, we deal with the struggle of the Christian life. Romans 8 deals with the power to handle that struggle, the power of the Spirit of God, the Spirit indwelling us. Romans 9 through 11 deals with the, the question of, okay, if the gospel is so great, and if it does all these things, what happened to the first promise of God with Israel? Are they just now uh, lost and abandoned? Or is God done with Israel? And the fact, no, God is not done with Israel. In fact, salvation is a personal thing. Romans 10, it's a personal thing that happens in your heart. You can be born in a great family, born in a great nation, but you must personally come to Christ and be saved. Romans 10, Romans 11, God, of course, is not done with Israel. Then we get to Romans 12. And in Romans 12, he says, Therefore, right? He says, therefore, I exhort you, therefore, brothers, by the mercies of God, that you present your bodies a living sacrifice. This is the implication for all of the doctrine. We are to present our bodies as a living sacrifice to God, 
holy and acceptable to God is your reasonable service, your act of worship. Your reasonable act of worship is to present your body a living sacrifice to God. Romans 12, 1 and 2, do not be conformed to this world, but be what? Transform how? By the renewing of your mind that you may prove what is that good and acceptable and perfect will of God. Romans 12, 1 and 2 give us the outline for the rest of Romans. And then he dials into Romans 12, dealing, or he dials into how, to, how we are to deal with people in our church and deal with those around us, uh, the fellowship of the believers, the, all of that in Romans 12. Romans 13, how to deal with government. We talked about this last time. And your neighbors. And then he gets to Romans 14, which I think is one of the most helpful passages especially where we are in our current church context. Because in Romans 14, he leaves the question, he leads us to this question, what should we do when believers who are filled with the same Holy Spirit, Romans 6, Romans 8, how should, how should we act? What should we do when believers who are filled with the same Holy Spirit disagree with each other about how to live out the Christian life? Have you ever been in a situation where you're sitting there talking to someone and you mention something and all of a sudden, someone gets a funny look on their face. You mention, if you're a lady, this is very, very typical. You're sitting in a group and you're talking about uh, some sort of, some sort of um, uh, makeup that you might have bought at a store that's on sale. And you look and one of the women says, um, I believe that the Bible says women ought not to wear makeup. Now, wait a second. You have two people filled with the Spirit of God, presumably, who've come to two different conclusions about something that I don't know, the Bible does say some things about how to adorn yourself, but that's a very sticky issue. It's a very, it's a gray area. There are other gray areas in the, in the Christian life. There are certain things that you may choose to do that I may not choose to do personally. There are things you may even choose to do that you find yourself coming up uh, against a, a wall and say, should I really, should I move this wall? Should I do what I said I would never do? Or should I stick to my guns? Let me give you one quick example, and, um, and I will, uh, then we'll dive into this. There is, we have a rule uh, in our family. We, we, don't, we don't like to eat at restaurants that prominently feature bars and alcohol. That's one of our personal things. But, you know, it's, it's, it's a sticky, it's a difficult thing. How do you draw the line on that? Like, is it if there's a bar in there, or is it if there's a, a big bar? What's the difference between a big bar and a small bar? It, it really is, is not a, a, a something that is super big deal in our family, but it's just something we always, we're not going to go to a primary bar. It's like if it's a grill and bar, that's okay, but not a bar and grill. You know what I'm saying? You know what I mean? I mean, I know that's really stupid. That's probably not actually our rule. We, but we have this, we have this general idea. And, and one time when my wife and I, before we had any kids, we were, we were uh, I was actually in seminary and we had met some friends who were, uh, you've, many of you've heard me tell this story. We met some friends who, um, unsaved friends. Uh, they, they, they were as lost as can be. And so we had befriended them through uh, mutual friends. And he was a, what, he did like um, paramedic work. And I forget, I think she was a nurse. And so they were, they were very interesting people. We had a lot of fun talking. And we, we, we've decided to befriend them and talk to them about spiritual things. And they seemed really open to talking about these things. So we would do things with them. We, and one time we went to a baseball game and after the baseball game, you know, I, those of you who know me, after a baseball game, I'm tired. I'm ready to go home, especially I've been studying a lot, you know. And, but, but the guy, Brian, says, hey, you guys want to grab something to eat? And we say, 
well, we're trying to reach these people for Christ, and what better way to try to reach people for Christ than grab something to eat? So absolutely, right? So sure, what do you have in mind? Well, there's this really great burger place right around the corner. Let's go. And so absolutely, I walk in there, and, and we sit down, and I look, and there is the biggest bar I've ever seen in my life. And it's, it's on the wall, and it's, it's huge. But you know what? I'm trying to win my brother here. I'm trying to win this, young, this man to Christ. And so I, I look at Jenna, and we say, you know what? Let's do this. Let's just go in. It's not a problem. We're not drinking. We're not, um, he, they're not drinking. It's not, it's, it's, it's not too late at night. It's not, the, it's not too bad. And at the time, I'm working at a seminary as a dorm, in dorm life. So, so I, I, am, I am responsible for people to keep them from going to bars, right? That's one of my jobs in a Christian school. And so we're sitting there at the window seat uh, in downtown Greenville, and, and everything's fine. Everything's great. We're having a great time eating burgers and eating French fries and just talking. And then, and then it turned like 10 o'clock at night. And I don't know what happened, but somebody flipped a switch, a literal switch. And, and the lights went dim. And there was a speaker set up in the corner. I never saw the speaker, but the speaker all of a sudden started playing. And this girl started playing her guitar. And the whole thing, the whole place changed instantly. And I was like, oh, man. I'm in trouble now because I'm on a window seat in downtown. I know one of our students is going to walk by and see me eating a burger at a, at a bar. This is a bar. There's just no, there's no way around it now. Like now it's like, have you ever had the scales fall from your eyes? And you're like, oh, oh, this is where I am. That's where I was at the time. You know, you have to ask yourself, what do you do in those situations? Was I wrong to do what I was doing? Was I, should I have done something else? I'm, you know, I, I'm, I'm asking, you know, we've all been in situations, we want to honor God. We don't want to be a, we don't want to be a problem in this situation. I'm dealing with an unbeliever. Is that different if I was dealing with a believer? What's, what's your responsibility to me? What's my responsibility to you? If we are in a church, more than three people, we're going to have disagreements with each other about things that the Bible isn't super explicit about. There is no Bible. I looked, which says a Bible verse, which says that, that we can't go to a restaurant with a bar. There are principles at play you're trying to apply. So how do you deal with these things when people disagree? Let's look at our Bible. And the Bible actually gives us some very pointed and very helpful, helpful instruction on how we are to handle this. Father, I ask you to give us wisdom tonight. Help us to open our hearts and open our eyes to your word, to, to recognize that, that in these situations and in these discussions, we need to have a heart that's soft, uh, soft towards you and soft towards one another, that we ought to see each other and our responsibility to build up and encourage. Help us, Lord, as we look at this passage, that we be honest before you and, and see our own shortcomings. And Lord, help us not to put on the flesh, to make provision for the flesh. Help us not to, to do things that would put us in danger of sin or bring our brother to sin. Because we love you, Lord, and we want your word to, uh, want to obey your word tonight. And I pray that that would be our attitude as we look at your scripture. In Jesus' name. Amen. You'll notice the first four verses, I, I basically just have the strong and the weak. Um, let's begin reading. He says, Receive one who is weak in the faith, but not to dispute over doubtful things. For one believes he may eat all things, but he who is weak eats only vegetables. Let not him who eats despise him who does not eat, and let not him who does not eat judge him who eats. For God has received him. Who are you to judge another servant to his own master? He stands or falls. Indeed, he will may be made to stand, for God is able to make him stand. Notice how we lead off. We lead off with an imperative. Receive. 
The word receive means to accept the one who is weak. Now, the word weak here has the idea of sick. Uh, Weak and sickness is connected in Greek. It's sick or weak in the faith. Someone who's weak in the faith, what exactly does that mean? Let's first talk about this command. What is the command? Who is the command to? Who is the command given to? Okay, so right now we have a strong and a weak brother. They're both believers. Which one is the command to receive given to? Strong brother. So if you are the stronger brother in this circumstance, in this situation, in this context, you are commanded to receive the one who is weak in the faith. And what does receive means? It has like implication. There's a, uh, the command here is to receive the weak. And the word receive means to be hospitable towards. This is not just formal reception as in, I acknowledge you. Okay, it's one thing to receive, to acknowledge someone, to like say, okay, I guess they're a Christian, or I guess they're a member of the church, or I guess they count. To receive actually is the idea of embracing and acknowledging and welcoming them into your home. It's a next step up. Does that make sense? We are talking about open arms reception. The implication here is that there will be some in the church who have weak faith. Their faith may, what does that mean? Uh, Possibly their faith is not fully developed. Their faith is limited in their understanding of God's program, of God's plan. Or their faith is weak in that some behaviors put a strain on their faith and make it hard for them to walk with God. In other words, they have put restrictions on themselves around certain things because engaging in those activities will tempt them from God and towards worldliness or sin. So, these weak brothers exist in our church. And I think sometimes you're the weak brother and sometimes you're the strong brother, depending on the circumstance. I think that's very possible. There's not like a category of strong brothers in this and weak brothers over here. I think sometimes in a certain circumstance, you could be strong and other circumstance, you could be weak. So, speaking to the stronger brother, Paul encourages them, Paul commands them to receive the brother, but notice the second phrase, but here's the condition. You're to receive him, but not to disputes over doubtful things. Um, that is, you're not to encourage disputes. You're not to, to get him so as to dispute with him. You're not to debate with him. You're not going to say, okay, I'll have you in to my house for dinner, but we're going to have an argument, you know, come ready to fight. That's not the picture. In fact, uh, I pulled this in the New American Standard Bible. One of my favorite Bible translations uh, out there says, now accept the one who is weak in faith, but not for the purpose of passing judgment on his opinions. Interesting, and I think that's very, very accurate. The idea is your goal of not over doubtful things is, is not to um, bring them into your house for that purpose. So the brother who is stronger is to receive the weaker. Look at verse 2 with me. In this situation, Paul addressed both individuals. One is strong, one is weak. One believes he may eat all things. The other is weak, eats only vegetables. So here's the issue being addressed is food. Okay, the issue being addressed is, is food. And in 1 Corinthians, you want to jot this in your Bible, maybe you should. 1 Corinthians 8 through 10 uh, deals with this extensively, this idea of, of meat versus uh, or meat offered to idols. I think that's probably the context here. I know he says vegetables, but what's probably happening is that um, in this context, people coming out of paganism, part of their worship ceremony was eating meat that had been offered to idols. 
Uh, meat would be offered to idols, usually the best cuts of meat, and then sometimes that meat would then be sold in the marketplace because guess what? Idols can't eat meat. Did you know that? <laughs> it's amazing. It's never connected for them. You know, but but uh, they would sell the meat in the marketplace because it was still good, and people would go and get discounted meat perhaps, discounted, but it was fine cuts of meat that had been offered to idols. And the problem would come if you were a former pagan and eating meat was part of your worship ceremony, then you come in and someone's eating meat and that meat was offered to idols, you might feel like you're betraying your Lord. Whereas the person who's eating the meat, who doesn't know anything about that, who's a Jew, would say, what's the difference? It's meat. It's good. I'm not worshiping their God. I'm worshiping the Lord. And we'll get into that in a minute. So that's probably the context. And so some people likely would only eat vegetables so they would not put themselves in a situation where they were accidentally or possibly eating meat that had been offered to idols. That's probably what's going on here in this context. Um, And I would like to say this one last thing. I've heard this, uh, and I, I don't know what you think about this, but I actually think that there is the implication by using the word strong and weak that God wants us to be the stronger brother in this situation. I, I don't think that God wants the weaker brother to stay weak, else he would use like brother A and brother B, like a neutral term. He's using terms that would lead us to say that you, I mean, would you rather be strong or weak? Typically strong, right? I mean, especially in the idea of weak here, it has the idea of sick. So, so they're sick. They're not fully developed. They're immature. There's something wrong about their faith that needs help. So it's, the idea is that you can grow beyond that to, to strength. We would hope so. At least that's, that's the implication here. The implication is that you should probably want to be the strong brother. But, but look at command. Look at verse 3. There's a command to the weak. What's the weak brother to do? Verse 3. Let not him who eats despise him who does not eat, and do not let him who eats judge him who eats. So the, I should have put both of these. I don't know why I didn't. Look at, look at this, uh, this blank here. What's the strong to do? What's the first one, the, the one who eats? What's his, what's his command? What should he do? What should he not do? D- d- what's the first one? The first, not him who eats, despise. So the one who eats, as we can say, is the stronger brother. If he's eating everything, he's stronger. He, he, he can eat everything. The one who does not eat, that he, is, he only eats vegetables, is the weaker brother. And he's saying, if you're the stronger brother, do not despise him who does not eat. And if you're the strong, weaker brother who does not eat, what should you, what should, would you be your attitude towards the person who does eat? You should not what? Why does he bring up these two sins? Or why does he bring up these two uh, attitudes? Because this is exactly the tendency we have, is it not? It's the tendency we have when there's a stronger or weaker brother. And if you want to know which one you are, just figure out which is your tendency, right? If you're looking at someone and you're saying, God's going to get them for that, that is wrong, and they are in trouble, and God, God is not approved, and I don't approve. If, okay, if that's your attitude, like they should not be going to a restaurant where there's a bar, can you believe they would do something? How can someone who walks with God, claim to walk with God, do that? Okay, that is judgmental, right? You are judging, and you're assuming that that person is in sin, and so, but they are the stronger and you are the weaker brother. And so in that context, you'd be weaker. Now, what's the context of some, what's the tendency of someone who's on the stronger side? Are you kidding me? What's the big deal? Come on, get over yourself, you self-righteous person. Can you believe that? Can you, why, what is your problem? What is your problem? Can you not believe, can you believe this? Like despising them, looking down on them, thinking they, they're just so, they're so ignorant. They don't understand. Like, they're so narrow. What's, what's the issue? Come on, relax. 
despising, looking down on someone. That's a tendency of people on both sides of this. Is it not? Is it not? I know it is for me. There's a tendency on both sides of this. The command is simple. If you are the stronger brother, you are not to have contempt on those who are more restrictive in these matters. And I think it's easy for us to say the strong should not judge the weak, but the same applies for the weak. We don't have a problem in their context for us to say, look, if you're if you are um, uh, the strong, you ought not to despise the weak. You have to put up with the weak. Don't, don't look down on the weak. But you know that it goes the other way too. Where the, the weak should not judge the strong. That's harder, I think. It's harder if you're in the I think it's harder when you're the weak brother and you see someone doing something that you've chosen not to do because you think it would lead to sin. It's hard for you not to judge that person. It's hard for me. I, I'm getting a little bit of blank stares. Do you see what I'm saying? Some of you are just like, I must put the guard up because I can't let him know what I'm thinking right now. Maybe that's it. I'll, I'll, I'll go with that. But that's the tendency we all have, right? Is that if you are the weaker brother in a situation, you tend to look at somebody with judgment. If you're a stronger brother, you tend to look at someone and despise them. But, but look at verse 3. He says, you are not to do this for why? God has what? God has already received him. That's the truth for the weak. Look at uh, that next section here. What's the truth for the weak? God has received him, the stronger brother. God has received him. God has received him, so you should be just like he is receiving you, receive the weak. God has already received him. So verse 4, who are you to judge another servant? It's not up to you to judge. It's up to God to judge. To his own master he stands or falls. Indeed, he will be made to stand, for God is able to make him stand. The truth here that God has already received him, same word as 14.1. He's not your servant, he's God's servant. He doesn't answer to you. He will stand before his own master, and God is able to strengthen him or uphold him. He, you may not be able, and we'll talk about this later, but uh, there may be things that, that actually are dangerous for you as a weaker brother, and you need to be careful about going uh, and doing certain things because it may lead you towards sin if it's not a faith. So what should we do? How should we live with each other? We should demonstrate love. It's not right for us to be cliquish in our relationships. It's not right for us to group ourselves with people who only agree with us. I think that's dangerous. If you only are with people who agree with you all the time, you get blind spots areas that are never challenged, areas that you don't even see. You know what a blind spot is? You don't know you have the blind spots. That's why they're called blind spots. And you need someone around you who sees things that you don't see, and that's okay. One of the things I tell people about marriage that's so amazing is when I got married, well, sometimes it's amazing. When I got married, I really thought I had a lot of stuff pretty good. I thought I was doing okay. But man, there's something about having someone really close in your life who sees all of your your things you don't do quite right and, and has the ability, but the grace to point them out in a good way. Like that, that is, some people don't like that. They're like, I, I don't like the fact that someone sees me so close and is able to like keep tabs on what I'm doing and, and, and sees all my weird things I do. Some people don't like that kind of, um, uh, kind of accountability, but, but this is what we're, we're here for in the church in a context. We are to be together. We are to not be cliquish. We're not to just be with people like ourselves people just like us. We are to embrace others and have hospitality towards people who might not agree with us on everything, and that's okay, and you're not supposed to argue about the stuff you don't agree on when you are together. 
Secondly, we're to demonstrate humility. We're to recognize the fact that there are things that I do, other people don't do, and that doesn't mean I'm better than them. And there are things I don't do that other people do that doesn't mean that I'm better than them. There's a difference, and that's, that's fine. We have to learn to live with each other because God has received one another. We should therefore demonstrate kindness and hospitality, etc. And the reason why he begins to develop in verse 5, look, look with me in verse 5. He, he, he says, let's read the passage, then we'll start. I'll give you the blank uh, for those of you who are panicking right now because I haven't said the blank. Give me one second. One person esteems one day above another. Here's another example. We've had food, now we have days. Another esteems every day alike. Let each be fully convinced in his own mind. First is a statement of fact. He's like, this is the way things are, especially when you have a clash of, of um, uh, cultures. One person might judge or esteem, the word is judge there, one day to be more valuable than the other day, a holy day, some sort of holiday. Another person esteems Every day is the same. Practically speaking, this kind of problem would have, arise, would have arisen and been very common among the early church. But what are they doing when they observe the day? Look at verse 6. He who observes the day observes it what? Oh, am I, am I, I'm off. I'm so sorry here. Let me show you that. I'm, I totally forgot about my PowerPoint. Excuse me. Here's my chart I did. Let's move on. All that time for nothing. Each person esteems, okay, one person esteems one day above another. I did the red and blue to help you follow along who's who. Let each, let both of them, red and blue, be fully convinced in his own mind. He's not saying that you're to be like, it doesn't matter. It does matter. But know what you believe and know why. He who observes the day observes it what? Thank you. And he who does not observe the day to the Lord, he does not observe it. He who eats, eats. To the Lord, he who gives God, and for he gives God thanks, and he who does not eat, to the Lord, he does not eat, and he gives God thanks, for none of us lives to himself, and none dies to himself. There's this, um, these are, there's this thing in Greek, and I don't talk a ton about Greek uh, behind the pulpit, but there's this thing in Greek um, called a dative of advantage, and it's fascinating. It's a little phrase, and there's a, there's a, uh, it's like a prepositional phrase, and we see it here in English as the phrase to the Lord. And the concept is that you do something for someone's advantage. You do something uh, to, to, to result in their benefit. So there's your blank. For whose benefit? And this is the question, is why are you doing what you're doing? For whose benefit are you doing this or not doing this? In fact, he's saying, don't get so wrapped up in these details. Don't demand everyone be just like you. Our holiness is based on our relationship with Jesus, not checking certain boxes. He talks about holidays first. Some people observe the day, they observe it to the Lord. Other people do not observe the day, and to the Lord, they don't observe it. I say, I don't understand how that works. Well, um, so, for example, let's say Christmas Day. Let's say that Christmas Day to you is a holy day, and you will go to church on Christmas Day, and it will be your holiday. It will be a holy day for you, and you treat it like a Sunday. You, you say, well, I will treat it like a, like a Lord's Day. I will, I will, we are not doing materialistic stuff like opening presents. We're going to church. We're going to honor the Lord. That's one way of honoring the Lord on Christmas. 
But you know what another person can do is they can say, thank you, Lord, for giving us this wonderful family day where we get to celebrate the birth of your son, Jesus Christ. And in, in honor of that, we are going to give gifts to one another and put a tree in our house, and we're going to have a great time. And I'm talking like, I'm not even drawing the question out of whether this, sun, this falls on a Sunday. Let's just say it falls like on a Thursday. Christmas on a Thursday, and somebody's getting dressed up for church, going to their church service on Christmas Day. Some people are in their PJs uh, having hot cocoa and opening uh, toys. And one, one is, you might say, well, the guy who's going to church is more spiritual than the one at home. Not necessarily. Because why is the guy going to church? If he's going to church in order to impress people, or in order to make an impact, make a point, and say, I am more holier, then he is wrong. He is not being holy. But if he's doing it to honor God, awesome. The guy who's at home with his family, with his family on the floor, playing around, drinking hot cocoa, having sugary cereal, and opening gifts, and having a great time, and saying, Lord, thank you for this. And they have like a time when they thank the Lord for everything they do, and they do it to honor God. And they say, this is all for the Lord. What a great, what, is he honoring God? Absolutely. Is this man honoring God? Absolutely. But they, they are doing different things. They're honoring a day differently because they're both doing it to the Lord. The same for food. Some say, I will not eat pork because it dishonors my Jewish brothers. So to the Lord, because I don't want to offend my brother, I am not going to eat this. But another says, I'm at a barbecue and I can pray and thank the Lord for the pork I'm about ready to enjoy right now, right? And so there's this this contrast here. But the point is not, is like verse 7. Look at verse 7. For none of us lives, what? What does that mean? Remember what I just said. What does to mean in this phrase? To what? Benefit. Advantage. No one lives for his own what? Benefit. You're not making, you should not be making decisions just based on what you want. It should not just be about you. It needs to be about God. It needs to be about honoring the Lord. So in my situation, I talked about earlier, told the story about being in that restaurant. My purpose in being in that restaurant, my purpose in trying to be with those two people was really, honestly, to honor the Lord. I wanted to give an opportunity to present the gospel to those people. My goal was to present the gospel to them. That was the reason we were at the burger place in the first time. My goal was not to go to a place where I could be close to alcohol or to be in a place where I kind of felt a little sneaky and a little bit naughty for being there. Okay, this, this, the purpose was to the Lord, and this has to be what we do because no one lives to himself and no one dies to himself. You don't live, you don't die for your own purpose, for your own advantage. In fact, everything we do Decisions about food, holidays, everything we do should be based not on our own benefit, but on our relationship to God. 1 Corinthians 10.31, whether therefore you what? Eat or drink or whatever you do, do all to the glory of God. Is that really your model for life, for a living? Do you do everything for God's glory? Most of us don't. Most of us do a lot of things just because we like to do them and because they feed our lusts. What Paul is telling us here, what the Scripture is telling us, is that we need to be careful not to do things for our own perspective, for our own benefit, but for God's benefit. Secondly, we see an eternal perspective, verse 8, where he says, for if we live, we live to the Lord, right? You see it? 
to the Lord's benefit. If we die, we die to the Lord. Therefore, whether we live or die, we belong to God. We are the Lord's. For to this end, for this reason, Christ died and rose and lived again, that he might be Lord of both living and of the dead and of the living. Christ wants to be Lord of your entire life. That's why he died. That's why he rose again. And then he goes back to the question in verse 10, but why do you judge your brother? Why do you show contempt for your brother? Why do you do these things? Um, contempt has the idea of regarding them as not valuable or thinking that they should be scorned because we will all stand before the judgment seat of Christ. So what's what's his point there is that your master will hold you to account and his master will hold him to account. You are not his master. When it comes to things that are debatable, when it comes to things that are gray areas. We need to be very careful about casting judgment against people. In fact, that's one of the principles we have here uh, in preaching and teaching is that we want to be very careful not to burden your conscience with things that we don't think are extreme, that we don't think are biblical. There are a lot of things that I think are wise, and I might even say things like, you know, my idea is this, or personally I would do it this way, but, but we try as pastors not to burden your conscience with things uh, that are not scriptural, because that's how cults happen, right? is when people say you have to wear certain colors only and you have to do certain things and you have to do this, you have to do that. And they do things that are unbiblical and they drag all these unbiblical principles and these unbiblical things. There's no room for disagreement. There's no room for error because what happens are for, um, for just for different opinions on something because I'm not God. I'm not your master. You don't have to answer to me at the judgment seat of Christ. You're going to answer to the Lord Jesus. So we need to be careful. Personal responsibility is important. You have no right to be passing judgment on your brother when the only thing that really matters is your own relationship with God. But you have to be careful not to make your brother to sin. If you keep going uh, for the next few verses, we need to be talking about loving uh, your brother. Oh, I finished this passage. Verse 11, for it is written, as I live, says the Lord, every knee shall bow to me, every tongue shall confess to God. So then each one of us shall give an account of himself to God. Therefore, let us not judge one another anymore, but rather let us resolve this. This is what we should do. Not to do what? Put a stumbling block or cause to fall in our brother's way. Paul does this so often in the book of Romans where he takes you right to the edge and and he says, you know, he brings you to a point where you almost might make a wrong conclusion. As I was saying this, you might say, well, then it doesn't matter, right? I mean, then everyone, uh, then then what I do, I can do whatever I want and he can't judge me and I can do whatever I want. He can't despise me. I can just live my life. I want to live. I can live as an island. But what he says here is, is fascinating. He says, we're not to judge each other anymore, but this is what we need to resolve to do. And I think he's really speaking directly to the stronger brothers at this point. He says you should not put a stumbling block or a cause to fall, a cause for offense in your brother's way. What is a stumbling block? This word gets really used in our culture, in our Christian culture today. Tell me, what is a stumbling block? Let me put it this way. What What do people think a stumbling block is? This way there's no wrong answer, right? What do people think of a stumbling block? What is that? Say it one more time. Makes you fall over? Okay temptations. People say, I don't want to be a stumbling block here. Well, I don't want to be offensive. I don't want to be offensive, right? Okay, to make a brother sin. 
Anything else? Do something that would encourage them to violate their own conscience. Okay. So, this is where I think that the, the, uh, the word is, is the word scandal on. It has the idea of scandalizing someone to cause a brother to fall. Okay, that's not the word for, um, that's the word for causing to fall. But the, the word stumbling block uh, and the definition I found actually has the idea of inducing someone to sin or causing someone to sin more than giving them a reason to sin. Okay? Because here's the thing. Like, let's say you have, uh, let's just use, um, uh, let's say that you have, a, you have a personal opinion. Let's say you have a friend. Let's say you have a friend who has a personal opinion that women should never, ever wear slacks. Women should always wear skirts. End of story. Like, that's just the rule they have. In their family, that's what they believe, and they believe that women should never, ever, ever wear slacks. And so, you over here, you like, you, you are slack. You're a woman, you wear slacks, no problem. Um, if you are walking around town, and you might run into that friend, is this requirement that you not wear slacks? Because if you run into that person, you're wearing slacks, you may give them, uh, you, may, you may be a stumbling block to them. Is that what this is saying? No. But you're giving them temptation to not, I mean, because they might look at you and say, well, they're a spiritual person, and I'm wearing a skirt, and they're wearing slacks, and so I could probably wear slacks. It's a temptation for them to break their conscience. So that's not obviously, I don't think that's a good enough definition for the word stumbling block. It's not just giving them perhaps a reason to break their rule. It really is causing them to stumble. That is, making them sin. And here's how that could happen. If you have, if you're a boss, and you have people who work under you, one of them is a young lady who says, I don't wear slacks. And you say, I don't care that you don't wear slacks. You're going to wear slacks as part of the uniform. What are you doing in that situation is you are causing, you are forcing that person to do something that violates their conscience. You're being a stumbling block to that person. Or if you're eating meat in someone's house, if you have someone over for dinner, let's put it that way, and that person is a Jew, and they have made it very clear that they don't eat meat offered to idols. And you fix a nice meal, and that steak tastes really good, and it smells really good. You bring it out, you feed, and about halfway through it, and you're like, guess what? Guess where I got that steak? It was offered to idols. And what have you just done? You have caused that brother to stumble because he made a vow to God or he made a promise to God that he would not eat meat offered to idols. He didn't know, and now you've told him halfway through. These are the kinds of things, take that to our modern context, of causing someone to sin, causing someone to sin. I am, I, when I, the reason I'm making a point on that is because I think sometimes we have been unnecessarily narrow in this, in, in this and, and have put a burden on people saying, if you do something that that, that you believe is fine, and someone sees you doing it, they may be tempted to do their own. I don't think that's at all what's in view here. I don't think that's at all what's in view here, because they obviously both know what's happening, the stronger and the weaker brother, because the weaker brother sees the stronger brother doing this and has to commit not to judge him. So let's look at verse 13. He says, let us, not, let us resolve not to put a stumbling block or cause to fall in our brother's way. I know and am convinced by the Lord Jesus that there is nothing unclean of itself, but to him who considers anything to be unclean, to him it is unclean. This was settled in Acts chapter 10 with God's vision to Peter, and also in 1 Timothy chapter 4, verses 4 and 5. I don't think I have them up on the screen today, but it says, every creature of God is good and nothing is to be refused if it is received with thanksgiving, for it is sanctified by the word of God 
and prayer. I think if Mike Jensen were quoting that verse, he'd say, every creature of God is good, something like that, right? <laughs> we talk about clean and unclean foods here. We're called to, to recognize the fact that it's not the food itself that is defiled. It's the person's conscience towards that food that is defiled. So what should we do? What's our decision? Verses 15 through 18 have us ask the question, to love or to destroy? Those are your blanks. To love or to destroy is the question. Not everyone's conscience will let them enjoy the food that is objectively okay to enjoy. Look at verse 15. If your brother is what? Grieved because of your food, you are no longer walking in love. If your brother is offended because of your food, you're no longer walking in love. Do not destroy with your food the one for whom Christ died. I want to ask you to ask the question, what's more important, a meal you get to enjoy that you have the right to enjoy or causing your brother to sin over something that truly, truly bothers him. That's why he says in verse 16, therefore do not let your good be spoken of as evil, for the kingdom of God is not eating and drinking, but righteousness and peace and joy in the Holy Spirit. The kingdom of God is not about food. There's a much bigger picture here. I'm going to try to wrap up this chapter, and then I have a bunch of practical uh, points I'd like to finish with. I think we can get there if you'll hang with me for just a few more minutes. Verse 19, he says, then let us pursue the things which make for peace. What's our pursuit? Our pursuit, you're blank there. What are we to pursue? The things which make for peace and the things which, by which one may edify or build up. Peace and edification. Do not destroy, this is tearing down the work of God for the sake of food. All things indeed are pure, but it is evil for the man who eats with offense. It is good neither to eat meat nor drink wine nor do anything by which your brother stumbles or is offended or is made weak. The, uh, the picture here is really made clear in verse 21 for the big idea. Love for your brother means you can restrict some of the freedoms that you might have if it causes your brother or sister to sin. So, for example, in our meat-eating situation, you have a brother who is uh, not going to eat meat offered to idols. You have every right to eat that meat that's been offered to idols. You have every right to do that because there's nothing wrong with that meat. That meat is made by God, and it's made to be enjoyed. But if you have him over, probably not the best idea to have that meat. I'd even say this applies today. If you have a, if you have a uh, Jewish friend who you're trying to win to Christ, not the best idea to have him over for pepperoni pizza. Because in the Jewish context, pepperoni pizza is a violation of the law because there's milk and meat mixed together, which is a milk boiled in its, or a kid boiled in its mother's goat or milk or something like that. It's the, that's how they interpret the law, and they would be offended by that. So, you know, use your, use your mind. There's nothing wrong with pepperoni pizza. I love pepperoni pizza, but there's nothing wrong with it. But if you're trying to reach someone, or if it's a Christian, a saved uh, Jewish Christian who's raised their whole life not eating uh, pork, you may not want to feed them pork. You may want to ask because you, your love for that brother is more important than your right to have pork. This is the point that so many Christians, we get so wrapped up in, what's well, my right to do this? You can't tell me not to do that. And the point here is not that. It's you should show love and deference for each other. Don't destroy the work of God for the sake of food. All things indeed are pure, but to the evil for the, it is evil for the man who eats it with offense. Verse 22, he finishes with our faith. Do you have faith? Have it 
to yourself before God, happy is he who does not condemn himself in what he approves. But he who doubts is condemned if he eats because he does not eat from faith. Whatever is not from faith is sin. You can do the same thing as someone else, but do it with the wrong attitude, the wrong perspective, and actually it be sinful. Let me give you some practical applications here, then we'll take any questions you might have. It's right at seven o'clock. Practical application number one is don't judge other believers on questionable things. There's some room on the back of your outline if you want to take notes on this. I, I think this might be helpful. Don't judge other believers on questionable things. What are questionable things? In fact, what is non-negotiable? I think um, we need to discuss this sometimes with people, but we need to recognize there are things that are not Bible things that we need to be a little bit loose with. In our, and I, I have things I know that I have, I can be very opinionated, and I have things that I just say, no, we don't do that. And is it, really a, is it really a Bible issue? Probably not. But I, I try to show grace to those who disagree with me on those things and try not to um, judge those who disagree with me on those things. But we should not judge other believers on doubtful things, on questionable things. Interestingly enough, he makes the point here, you should be convinced in your own mind. I think that's the second one, is that you, you should be convinced. This does not mean that it doesn't matter. It does matter, but you need to be charitable towards other people, and I think you need to have a good rational reason for why this is being used to glorify and honor God or why it's not. If your only reason for doing something is because I want to, that's probably not honoring the Lord, or because I like it, that's probably not honoring the Lord. How are you using this to honor God? How are you doing this to the Lord versus to yourself? Um, do you judge other people who are making different choices than you are? We need to be careful about that. Um, so what is the proper response when someone does something that you disagree with and you consider it to be a non-negotiable, but they see it as a gray area? I think about it. What would you do? Well, I think it's always good to seek wise counsel, and I think also sometimes it's good to let God deal with people. You're not the king and you're not the judge. Isn't it great that we don't have to judge people, that we're not the judge? God hasn't given you the cloak, and it's not your job to be God's policeman. Aren't you glad that God hasn't said, Pat, you know what your job is today? I want you to go find everybody who's sinning and tell them they're doing wrong. And Pat, <laughs> you got to start with yourself first, right? But aren't you glad that God hasn't made you his policeman, that your job is to walk around and say, oh, 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 I think that you're being a little selfish, you know. <laughs> oh, I think you're being a little bit unkind, you ate one too many French fries, gluttony, you know, or whatever. We are, we are not commissioned with that. Every one of us has the Spirit of God living in our heart. If you're saved, you have the Spirit in you, and God is working in every person, and everybody's in a different place spiritually, and that's part of the growth of the body is that we grow spiritually. And if we are responding to the Spirit's convicting power, we can, we can allow God to work. I am not trying to temper your enthusiasm for protecting the truth. This is important for dealing with things inside the church. You notice all of the examples here are given with brothers and sisters. I'm talking about brothers. Title of the message, Dealing with Believers who disagree. So, is it wrong for guys to wear shorts or necklaces? You know, is it wrong for guys to have jewelry? That was a big one when I was growing up. You know, guy, my mom wouldn't let us have necklaces or bracelets, right? Is that necessarily wrong? I, I don't think there's a Bible verse for that, but I think there can be a time when it does become a problem if you are doing certain behaviors or if you are trying to flaunt yourself? How about shopping on Sunday? Is that a problem? 
Like it used to be a huge deal back at, uh, in the South. They used to have blue laws. You, I remember even me growing up as a kid, you, you, there was nothing open on Sunday except gas stations. And so you had to make sure you had everything on Saturday. You weren't going shopping on Sunday. Now you hardly know the difference between Sunday and, and Saturday. But, but some people still have a really hard rule in their, phone, in their family. They don't shop on Sundays because Sunday is a special day. It's the Lord's Day, and that's a day we honor God. We don't go to Walmart. We don't go to you know, McDonald's. We don't do that kind of stuff on Sunday. Okay. How do you consider those who you might be driving on your way out of church and see someone pull into Walmart? <gasps> oh, no. Right? Some of y'all are in Walmart, you're pretending like you don't see each other, you know? <laughs> right? So, so ask yourself, you know, we have youth nights here on Sunday nights occasionally. We have snack after church, and kids go, and they they're jumping around doing crazy stuff. You might say, this is just not for the Lord's day. This is offensive to me, you know. Keep that opinion to yourself. We've approved that, right? But you have to consider what, you know, how are we going to live in harmony? If we're going to be gathered together, we have to be able to disagree. How about TV? How about movies? How about fiction? I once had a conversation with a Christian who, had a, who, who said he did not believe in reading fiction. He thought it was wrong. Because it was a fantasy world in which God did not exist. Those were his words. And I thought, that's really interesting. I never even thought of it before. Um, so we had a discussion. How about boycotting things? Right? Some people, big boycotters. It's like, they don't go anywhere. I don't know how they get their food. I don't know where they go. It's like, man, we're not going to Target. We're not going to Starbucks. We're not going anywhere. Like, if there's anything going on, we're boycotting. And I'm not making fun of you. That's, that's your thing. That's great. But what happens, again, if you're driving by Target... And you see someone you know at Target, and you think to yourself, how come they're not boycotting Target? Don't they know what's going on in those walls and how they have, you know, whatever? And I, we all, we realize, what's, you know, there's a lot of bad stuff going on all over the place. But do you see how we can easily make things that are not Bible issues be Bible issues, where we start dividing over these things? And the Bible does not give us permission to deny or to divide over these things. The Bible gives us permission to divide over doctrinal issues, over church discipline issues. So if someone is being disobedient, we are to separate from them. We are to divide. If they are denying the faith, we are to divide and separate from them. We are to mark them out. There are things we are called to divide. We are not called to divide over these things. So be careful. Be careful what you divide over. When you love your brother or sister more than your pleasure for freedom, you don't mind giving up what's temporary for what's eternal. So Christians with differing convictions always have been part of the body and will always be. Christians will never agree on every issue, and we need to learn how to love and care for each other. Any questions or thoughts or comments on, on this topic? I think this is, to me, this is like extremely helpful. I, I really appreciate this passage of Scripture, and I hope I've communicated that. I hope I haven't muddied the water, but is there anything that I've said that you would like clarity on or would like to have a thought about? Yeah, Pat. We're all one body of Christ. You're not going to damage your own body. Mm. So as believers, we are to love, edify, and strengthen each other who are in the body. Right. And I expect the same back. We work together as one body. Yeah, absolutely. We, we should... Uh, it's the body of Christ, really, right? We're supposed to be building up each other in the body. We're not to be tearing each other down. Absolutely. Yeah. Well said. Thoughts or questions? Any other? How, let me just say that. How many of you have had an experience in the past where there was something that you thought 
you were on one side of this or the other, where there was a debatable thing with friends and it divided people. How many of you are familiar with something like that? Oh yeah, all over the place, right? This is common. This happens. And I think our tendency as Baptists is to just go start a new church. Well, I'm tired of that church. Can't believe they do that. We got we to have purity in our church. We're not letting this happen. We're going to go start a new church. And there's the old joke about the guy who's been, the Baptist stranded on the desert island. They find him, and he's got three buildings. I say, tell us about your buildings. He says, this is my home. This is where I live. This is my church. This is where I worship God. Hey, what's, what's this other building, they asked him. Oh, that's the church I used to go to. Yeah. <laughs> so all of us, all of us, we tend towards these things. As Baptists, we tend towards this. We have to be careful not to be divisive, not to be unnecessarily provocative or divisive over these things. We ought to strive towards unity. And we're not talking about doctrinal impurities here. Okay, there's lots of churches out there that have all kinds of doctrinal things. That, there's nothing wrong with separating over doctrine. That's Bible. We're talking about things that are debatable, things that are gray areas. Other thoughts or comments or questions? I don't want to shut down too early, but I don't want to keep the nursery too long either. So, anything? Yeah. Oh, okay, good. Yep. Well, good. Yeah, it's, it, it means a lot to me. I've gone through this a lot. You know, we all have to fight through our own and decide what, when something is, is a, a, a serious issue, when it's not. And I would say that sometimes people change over, li- over their life, right? Sometimes people change. Sometimes there's something that's a big big thing for them, and they, they develop, they mature, and they grow. Like I said, I think that God's intent for us is not all of us to be weak all the time. And uh, there's a great uh, book out there called Unoffendable. I would encourage you to read it if you haven't already. There is no virtue in being offendable. It's not a virtue to walk around constantly being offended by everybody. That does not make you holy. We ought to show grace and love towards people, and it ought to take, it ought to take a lot for somebody to offend you. You ought to cover a lot of stuff in love. And, and I'm thankful that there are some people here, and I'll wrap up with this. Some people here come and say to me, Pastor Marshall, I'm so sorry. I, and I said that the other day. I was, that was unkind of me. And I'm trying to think, what did they say? <laughs> I'm not patting myself on the back here, but I, I'm, I'm involved with a lot of people who say, and sometimes people are not very kind to me, but, but um, uh, very often people are, you know, just, uh, they'll say something like that. And I, I'm like, I, 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 okay, I'll take your apology. I will... I will agree to forgive you. I don't remember what you're talking about, or I didn't take it the wrong way, and we're good. We're great. We're, you're forgiven. No problem. We ought to treat each other with a lot of grace. There are a lot of people going through hard things. Show grace. Show love. And recognize that we're all in different places. All right, let's close the prayer. Thank you all for coming. Why don't you stand? We'll close the prayer, and uh, we'll be dismissed after this. Lord, thank you so much for the instructions in your word that give us guidance and direction about all kinds of manner of things in our life, whether it's uh, how to get saved, how to walk with you, and even how to deal with others who disagree with us over things that are important to us but may not be uh, spelled out explicitly in your word. We know there are many things like this in, in your word, many things from entertainment to what we eat to, to where we go. And uh, Lord, I pray you'd help us to put guardrails around our life to keep us from falling into sin and to help us not to um, cause our brothers to sin. But in the same time, Lord, help us to understand that different people are in different places, and that does not mean that you disapprove of them. In fact, the Bible says that you approve 
of, of the stronger brother, and we, we acknowledge that. And Father, we ask today that you help us walk with you in a way that is of faith, that is not of, um, uh, of disbelief, but of belief and of faith. Help us to, to honor you with our lives and to do what's right. Thank you for all the uh, people who were able to come tonight, the blessing of studying your word. I pray we'd apply it this week in Jesus' name.